0: you can take a Bible, we'll be in Mark chapter 4 today. Last week, Chip talked about um, encouragement and looked at Barnabas. And so this week, I thought maybe uh, kind of along on piggybacking on that theme, I'll talk about the opposite, talk about discouragement for a few minutes with our time together. I uh, grew up a University of Georgia football fan, And we went to games growing up as kids. And I remember one of my first games after graduating high school that I went to without my family. Um, Me and my brother got tickets to the the Peach Bowl in Atlanta when University of Georgia played the University of Virginia um, years and years ago. And I remember that game for a lot of reasons. It It was an up and down game, back and forth the whole time. Um, most of the fans, because it was in Georgia, in Atlanta, most of the fans were Georgia fans. But Virginia did bring a a decent-sized crew down from from Virginia. But I remember Hines Ward uh, was the quarterback. He plays for the the Pittsburgh Steelers now. But he was the quarterback for Georgia. And he had gotten hurt earlier in the game and was limping around for most of the the second half. And Georgia was down by a few points with only – a few minutes to go, and they uh, they gave the ball to Heinz Ward, and he drove them all the way down the field. And with only just literally a few seconds left on the clock, they scored a touchdown. And the crowd—I mean, the stadium—just went crazy, and we, we couldn't even hear ourselves hollering. It was so loud in that in the Georgia Dome, and we just knew it was going to be a, a game for you know for history. Um, that Georgia had come back and won, and it was just uh, it was glorious, and. Um, Two two or three seconds left, Georgia kicks off to Virginia, and what happens? But Virginia runs the, the kickoff back, and with no time remaining on the clock, break our hearts. It was the biggest emotional mood swing that I'd ever seen in one football game, going from just glory of what had just happened, of this great effort that the dogs had put forth, to then, uh, just two seconds later, just devastation <laughs> and discouragement, um, that despite our best efforts uh, of our, our, our injured quarterback and football team putting their best efforts out, we still lost the game uh, in, a, in a heartbreaking way. I've thought about that game many times over the years for, uh, for a variety of reasons, but I think one reason it stuck with me is because it's a lot like life, isn't it? Um, that we know what it's like to, uh, through struggle and through hardships and hard circumstances, put our best foot forward <laughs> for the Lord in many cases, only to, to have our heart broken um, in the last minute, despite all our best efforts, only to be disappointed with the outcome, um, despite doing what we think and we know is, is being faithful and obedient to what the Lord's called us to. Um, well, Mark knew that, and when he wrote this gospel, uh, he actually put a parable in the midst of his teaching about what the kingdom of God was supposed to be like. He put a parable that, that he's the only one of, of the gospel writers that included this part of the teaching of Jesus. And I think he did it specifically to remind us of a truth of how do you get through, what do you do with this in-between time, this, this time of, of hardship and sometimes disappointment and discouragement before the end comes, before the victory that we know is waiting uh, comes in full. Um, so, I want to read uh, uh, the passage and then give you a little context of, of how it fits, and we'll, we'll de- kind of work through it together today. The, the passage is Mark chapter 4, and I'll just read a few verses starting in verse 26. And talking about Jesus, it says, He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Short little parable. Um, in the midst of a a number of teachings on the kingdom of God, what in the world is Mark trying to teach us here? Well, first of all, context. Um, Mark, in his gospel, it's interesting to me that he puts this parable here um, because he stops and he he slows down his, his speedy gospel. He slows down to focus on, hey, you need to get this before we move on. You need to get what this kingdom of God is all about, and he starts off by teaching about the parable of the sower, which if you've been around church and you've studied the Bible much at all, you've, you've heard, I'm sure, teaching on the parable of the sower, that the sower scatters the seed and it falls on all kinds of different ground, and um, it kind of stands for the responses that people have to the hearing of the word, the gospel, as it goes forth. And it's, some falls on, you know, hard ground, and, and it, the the, the birds snatch it away, some fall on, um, um, on ground and it grows up quick, but then it dies because of the sun. Falls, some falls on the ground and thorns grow up with it and chokes it out. And then finally some, some actually finds root in good soil and it produces a huge, huge crop. Um, what well Mark is saying, listen, that's actually what's happening as Jesus is going forth. He's, he's sharing this good news about the kingdom and it's being received in all kinds of different ways. But what Mark's saying with the parable of the sower, and, 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 and Jesus is saying with the parable of the sower, is, hey, there's going to be fruit. And it's going to come, and it's going to be bigger than you can imagine. Even though some don't receive it, and it, it does fall on some hard ground, ultimately there's going to be fruit. And then at the end of this, this uh, series of teaching, he, he tells the parable of the mustard seed. And again, if you've studied much of the, the scriptures, you remember the parable of the mustard seed, or this very small seed. Uh, is, is planted, and then uh, next thing you know, years later, th- it becomes this, this biggest of the shrubs that even the birds find shelter in. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom, it, it doesn't look like much now, and many times it, it seems small, but you can bet on it, bank on it, just like the mustard seed, that the fruit is going to be there. It's going to be huge, and, and many are going to take, take shelter um, in, in the kingdom. But in between those two, of of the promise of what's to come, the promise of the the fruit to come, he puts this parable about the kingdom of God. And he says, basically, the the seed is being sown, the gospel is going forth, and the fruit is coming. The the harvest is going to be great. But in the midst of it, there's some mysterious stuff that goes on. That we don't uh, totally understand, that we don't see, that we have to wait on. Uh, this this uh, seed that, that, you know, the farmer rises day and night and he looks out there and he sees, you know, oh, there's a, there's a small little uh, a green blade growing there. I wonder what that's, you know, that's going to be. He goes to sleep again, rises the next day again and again and again. And over time, all by itself, as, as the water comes and the fertilizer comes, the, the seed grows up and sprouts and then it becomes corn and then it, it, it develops full fruit. And then the harvest comes. I think what Mark is teaching us is that in between the seed going out and the harvest to come is a period of waiting. But that waiting is not um, fruitless, it's not boring, it's not uneventful, it is significant in the life of those who are part of the kingdom of God. And so that's what I want to talk to you a few minutes uh, today about, is it about, what about this waiting what about waiting especially when it's, you don't see a whole lot of fruit? What about the early days when that is just a blade, uh, it looks like a, a green blade coming out of the ground? What, if, what about the days when you know, you're, you're, you're need to see fruit, you desire to see fruit, and it's just not coming? We know it's coming one day, but what about now? What about the in-between Paul Tripp, in his book called Broken Down House, gives a definition of waiting that I have found very helpful over the years. He says this, he says, waiting is living through those moments when you do not understand what God is doing, and you have no power to change your circumstances for the better. You hear that 2 prong there? Waiting is living through those moments when you don't understand what God is doing, and you have no power to change your circumstances for the better. Think, for, think about that just for a minute. How much of your life goes on that you just do not understand? If you ever think you understand um, uh, culture, uh, go study it. It is one of the most, uh, changing, affecting change in a culture is one of the most complex things that I've ever studied uh, because of, of the, the complexity of the patterns and the, the different ideas and institutions and habits that people have, and there, there's so much that goes on for the kingdom of God to break in and actually have an, an effective change, it just it's beyond us, all the things that go into it. it's beyond our, our small um, brains. What about circumstances? You have any circumstances in your life that you feel powerless to change? Of course we do. All of us do. In one area or the other, If uh, what's taught me most about that is having children. Uh, some people were asking earlier, we, we're expecting our fourth child uh, any any minute, any day now. Um, and it, children have taught me that if I ever thought I had things under control, <laughs> I, I was deceiving myself. I don't. Anything goes at any time. Um, and any time you, you think you start to get it together is when it all starts to fall apart, it seems like. Circumstances... Are so many times we are powerless to affect real change. Um, well, that's where waiting comes in. That's where a parable like this, that Mark lists, the teaching of Jesus, uh, has so much impact for us because waiting is actually something the Lord uses in our lives um, to grow us up in Him and to make us the people that He wants us to be. Why wait? Why does God cause us to wait? Why doesn't he just give it to us now? Why doesn't he just give us the fruit, give us the end, uh, give us the glory that we're headed for now? Um, Paul Tripp lists a few reasons, and I want to talk about them just for a minute. Why wait? Number one, Paul Tripp says, uh, and I, he's, it's so helpful, he says because, number one, we live in a falling, fallen world. We have to wait because we live in a fallen world. When... Our parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. Uh, That sin affected and infected everything. Uh, No, things aren't as bad as they could be. God's grace restrains evil to an extent. But everything is touched by sin. And things that should be very simple, we know all too well, a lot of times get very distorted and and twisted and mixed. Um, I think about it like... uh, like it was when I used to go fishing with my dad, um, my dad was one of the most patient, is one of the most patient people that I know. Um, there'd be so many times that he'd be teaching me how to use you know a reel or, or a new, new uh, rod and reel or whatever it might be, and you know I'd get caught on a stump, or uh, I'd cast it out and the, the reel would backlash and get in this big knot right up here at the at the, at the top of the reel. And I'd be ready just to say, okay, let's just cut it and start over. You know, for, forget about that worm or that lure or whatever else. He said, no, 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 no. That's, that's a valuable lure that we paid for. Let's, let's take some time, be patient, and let's work through this. Um, sometimes it was a simple fix. Sometimes it would take us, you know, hours to get this thing untangled and pulled out and all figured out. And his patience um, was a great example of what we're talking about here. There's relationships and conversations that are supposed to be encouraging and meaningful and helpful in helping us live this life that we're called to live, can quickly become so uh, complicated and confusing and distorted and just hard to love each other. Um, tasks that we're called to do, to, to love God, to love each other, uh, to serve in our communities, um, We know, once we put our hand to those things, that those things are not simple. They get distorted, entangled, because we live in a fallen world, in a world that doesn't work the way that it was designed to work. Um, Why else? Why else waiting? Why do we have to wait? Well, because God is sovereign. Because we're not writing our own stories. Um, And that's a good thing. If we were to write our own stories, uh, we'd make a mess of things. Because we are the problem, right? We are the sinners. The I recently uh, got a video sent to me when all this um, remembering 9-11 uh, a, few, a few weeks ago happened on TV and all, all these things. I got sent a video, and maybe you've seen it, of uh, a pilot that was scheduled to fly one of the planes that ended up getting hijacked. And he went through the whole process telling of... How do, you, how do you schedule a flight as a pilot, how do you call in, and if you see one listed, you can say, I, I think I'll do that when I've got some time. And he had done, gone through the whole process, and he said he had never before, once he had gotten to a certain point in the process, once he had booked that flight, he'd never before, before been bumped. He said there was only one way that he could be bumped from this flight, and that was if, you know, another pilot who was higher ranked and whatever else at the last minute um, bumped him. He had a 30-minute window, this pilot did to call in and sure enough last minute he got the call of hey you've been bumped from this flight and sure enough that was one of the flights that got hijacked on 9-11 see he's waiting for the call he's waiting for things to work out like he wants to happen and all of a sudden or not all of a sudden but all the time God's got another plan in place God is sovereign who knows his reasons for choosing one instead of the other to, to be the pilot that day but God is the one that's sovereign. He's the one that's writing our stories. And that's good because he's a good God. <laughs> because he's a wise God. Um, number three, why wait? Because God is gracious. Um, and waiting itself is a gift of his grace. Think again about this definition. Waiting is living through those moments when you don't understand what God is doing. And you have no power to change your circumstances for the better. If that's true, if waiting is, is not having the power to change your circumstances and not understanding in the first place what, what's going on behind the scenes, not being able to see behind the curtain of what God is doing, then waiting is a chance, a, a, a gracious chance, for us not to be static, not for us just to sit back and just twiddle our thumbs, but for us to, to grab hold of Jesus, <laughs> to come before God and say, God, you're right, I don't know, I need you. You've got to be the one that comes through here. Uh, I need to trust you. I need to know your character behind all this. And I need you to build my character, to be one that's more conformed into the person you'd have me to be. So waiting is itself a gift of God's grace to where he uses to form in us this character that he would have us to to have. Um, Next, waiting is for the sake of others. Uh, People are not machines. You know, we, we... We get mad at a copier because it's not performing right because it's a machine. You know, you're supposed to press a button and it spits out a copy. People aren't like that. Um, We're we're, we're more complex. Uh, We are the crown of God's creation. He, He made us so much more complex. And just like it takes years for bad patterns to develop... Sometimes it takes years for the gospel to really infiltrate and, and and redeem all of those bad patterns until they scream more and more of the glory of God. Um, people take time. I remember uh, a church planner in, in New York City telling of a, a mobster that he'd shared the gospel with that came to know the Lord, and he said he saw him a, a couple months later and he said, "Hey, how's, you know, how's your walk with the Lord going?" He said, "Preacher, uh, I'm doing great." He said, a couple weeks ago, I was on the subway, and this guy mugged a lady there. And I was right there, and he said, I pulled out my gun, and I shot him in the kneecap. And he said, praise the Lord. You know, a few months ago, I would have shot him in the head. Uh, So, you know, people people are not machines. People take time, right, for the gospel to take root in our hearts and affect a long-lasting change. And so that's why wait, for the sake of others. And then lastly, for the sake of, of God's glory. Um, If we don't understand our circumstances, if we're powerless to change them, ultimately, we've got one who who is powerful enough to change them. We've got one who does understand fully. And if we put it on him and come to him and say, God, you're the one that's got to come through here, when he does in his time, and guess who gets the glory? Not us, right? Him, which is what it's for in the the first place. Quickly, two uh, examples from Scripture ...of waiting, and then I want to t- bring it back to actually a passage that we're studying today... ...and show you how it fits, uh, which won't take but a, a few seconds. Um, Saul, in the Old Testament. Uh, Samuel has uh, anointed the first king of Israel, and it's Saul. This tall, good-looking guy, but just not a spiritual giant. Um, and he, in, in one, of this, one of the passages in the Old Testament, tells of, of uh, Samuel, had told Saul, hey... God's going to deliver you from your enemies, the Philistines here. Go up and wait on this mountain, assemble your army, and I, Samuel, will come and I'll offer the sacrifice. And then after that's done, God will deliver you. He'll give you the victory. So Saul waits uh, right up to almost the end of the appointed time. God makes him wait to the last possible minute. And then his his army's starting to get scared. They're starting to run. Uh, and put yourself in this position. This is most of us would have done the same thing. Saul says, you know what? My army's leaving. We're already a lot smaller than this army that we're facing. Uh, you know what? Samuel must not be going to be coming. Maybe something happened on the way. I'm going to take this sacrifice. I'll offer it myself. Get God's blessing. Because uh, that's re- basically what he viewed it as. A rubber stamp. Get God's blessing. And then we'll go out and do this thing. Um, he does it. And as soon as he's done, guess who shows up? Samuel. God was going to come through just like he said he was. He was going to do it in his way and in his timing, but Saul didn't wait. And because it showed where his heart was, because it showed the bent the inclination of his heart was on his own strength, uh, for his own glory, and in his own timing, Saul lost the kingdom right there that day. It wasn't immediate, but over time, uh, his, his kingdom would be given over to, to David. Um, and then, around the heels of that story, of how you shouldn't, <laughs> the wrong way to wait... It's the story of Jonathan, Saul's son, who in the same scenario, um, trusting in the Lord, a heart full of God, um, goes and and has this great victory over the Philistines. Let me just read you what Jonathan says. He, he, He tells his young man his armor barrier. Jonathan says to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to this garrison of these uncircumcised. And this is what he says. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. See, Jonathan's actually waiting too. He's waiting and, uh, and, and, and trusting in the Lord. And he says, you know what? We're going to put ourselves in a scenario where if God doesn't show up, then it's going to be, we're going to be helpless. But if he does, he's the one that can save by many or by few. So we'll go put our hands to it and you know, we'll wait on the Lord. If he doesn't show up, then we'll, we'll step back. If he does, then we'll surge, surge forward. But his heart, the, bent, the inclination of his heart was in trusting in the Lord. Jonathan knew how to wait. His dad uh, had a, a lot of lessons he could have learned from his son. Then in the New Testament, another example is a guy named Jairus, which is a, a chapter uh, after the passage we're studying now. You read of um, a, a leader named Jairus who comes to see Jesus, and he says, uh, basically, Jesus, my, my, my child, my daughter is laying in bed sick. And I've heard that you have the power to heal her. Come, come quickly. Come on right now. And so his disciples, they're making their way through the crowd. And, and what happens? Well, in the midst of all these people pressing in on, on Jesus, this, this woman who's had this bleeding problem for years touches Jesus. Power goes out of him and heals this woman. And Jesus stops. Jairus is, is fidgeting. He's nervous. The disciples are saying, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Somebody touched you. Of course somebody touched you. There's all these people around. And Jesus says, no, no, no. i got to find out who did this. There's something that needs to be dealt with here. He finds the woman. He tells her, hey, listen, I'm not just a healer. I'm the Savior. You know, Your faith is what has made you well. Not, I'm not just a miracle worker. In the midst of him dealing with the woman, the, the thing that Jarius feared most happened. The news comes hey, your daughter is no use don 't bother the teacher anymore your daughter your daughter's dead devastating news for any anybody that that, that, that has a child to that, to get that to have your hopes up so high in a person and, and, and then to, to because they delayed you know oh if you'd have just been there um but see Jesus has something bigger in store, and that 's mostly the case when it comes to Jesus. We come for something like Jarius. we come for a healing. But oftentimes, we get a resurrection. <laughs> we get so much more than what we, we came for. We came to a miracle worker. But what we give is the Lord of life and death. And so in his timing, Jesus goes with Jairus. And he says, listen, don't fear. Just trust. And he goes in and he, he, he lifts this girl out of death <laughs> into life. Um, and gives her back to her, her dad. See, that's what waiting does. It takes our view of God and it just blows it up. He says, we came to you for this little thing that we wanted you to, like a machine, answer. Do our our bidding. And God says, I'm God. I'm the one that knows everything. I'm the one that's in control of circumstances. So you've got to wait on me. You've got to trust me. In the midst of that waiting, he transforms us into people that do wait. That do trust. Um, So back to our passage. Mark, you read his gospel. One word you'll see over and over is immediately, immediately. You know, Jesus got out of the boat, and immediately this happened. And, and then he, he got back into the boat, and immediately they were on the other side. Mark is speeding along to basically what Jesus came for, the cross and the resurrection. Um, but in the midst of it, he stops. And I think, by example of, of Mark's writing, I think he was probably a guy that struggled with patience. This is a guess. But I think that's why he included this. To say, hey, this kingdom is coming in full. It's already been inaugurated. Jesus has come and his word is going forth. And it's going to bear fruit. It's going to meet with opposition, yes. Uh, but it's going to bear a ton of fruit. And in the meantime, um, as you go about spreading this gospel in word and in deed, realize it's a process. And oftentimes in the midst of it, don't be discouraged that, that process, a lot of it is waiting. A lot of it is trusting in the Lord and trusting that that gospel, that kingdom is going forth. That growth is happening and it is significant. I'll end with this. C.S. Lewis um, quoted one of his friends in one of his books. And I couldn't find the quote for today. But he basically says that most of us come to Jesus and when we give our lives to him, we think that he's going to do some minor repairs. You know, fix a light fixture here, clean up a little the living room over here, uh, maybe change a few things, a coat of paint. He said, but then he starts knocking around and putting a new wing up here and raising up a tower here and putting out flags. And he says, we thought he was coming just to do a little bit of work, but he's doing a full renovation. And he says, because he plans to set up shop inside of us. He's building his home in us. And one of the chief ways that he does that is by us waiting on him. And trusting in him. And in the midst of it, him forming in us uh, the character of the people that he wants us to be. Don't be discouraged as you give yourself to kingdom building. God is building his kingdom. He's the one that's doing it. Uh, And even when it's hard to see the fruit, we can be guaranteed... Um, that he is at work, and that it will come in full when he comes again. Let's pray. God, guard us from discouragement. Thank you for um, the Barnabases of our life that continue to encourage us and point us to you. We pray that as we set about the work of seeing your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that you would guard us from discouragement that you would help us to see um, that some significant things happen in the waiting, Um, that we would be faithful to share, that we'd be like Jonathan, ready to go uh, if you show up, um, and ready to give you the honor and the glory. And God, while we wait, make us into the people you'd have us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.